0: It's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with award-winning journalists who cover the East End for a compendium of the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. Uh, My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill.
1: Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody.
0: And our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti, the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise.
1: Good morning.
0: We have Beth Young, the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. And we have Brian Cosgrove, who's the host of the Afternoon Ramble right here at WLIWFM. How you doing, Brian? Good. Good morning. Good to have you. Good to be back. It's been a little time since I've been on the show, and I missed you guys. Um, And I kind of want to dive in. You know, what we've been talking about lately in the news has a lot to do with weather, right? Uh, the, The storms that have been sweeping through on a fairly regular basis. Lately have started to take a real toll on the on the beaches, Beth. Uh, and and we've seen just sort of wave after wave of these storms that have that have had nope, no, pun
1: degrees, te- no pun intended. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that have had varying degrees of effects on on the, the beaches all the way from Montauk uh, down here in Hampton Bays. We've had issues. Uh, it's been pretty damaging and, and it's it's not set to end yet, is it?
2: Yeah, well, um, we're recording this Friday morning, but you're probably listening to this during the um, on Saturday morning during the uh, peak of high tide, and we're expecting another um, another round of coastal flooding with this storm on Saturday morning. Um, you, it looks like the high tide's coming from like ten to one, depending on where you are on the East End on Saturday morning. Um, so uh, coastal flooding has been a big issue. Um, a lot of this depends sort of on the wind direction where it's going to um, impact most dramatically. And I think a lot of the recent storms have been more out of the southeast than the, the typical nor'easter. And that's why the ocean beaches have been hit so hard. Uh, the storm we had uh, this past week was more of a traditional nor'easter. So we had a lot of the traditional nor'easter type flooding up on the North Fork. Um, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of marshland up here. There's a lot of marshland throughout the Peconic Estuary, and water kind of piles up in there and floods basements. Um, I know uh, the fire departments up here were responding to quite a number of calls involving flooding, uh, electrical issues. Uh, so, this is a real issue for people. Um, you know, even if you don't necessarily have waterfront property, if you're somewhere where your basement floods, um, it's a really good time to start looking into getting those utilities above ground uh, when planning for the future of your property because the basement flooding is not going away.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And down here, Bill, I think the issue has been more about beach erosion, right? We've we've had some flooding and flooding of roadways and things like that, but uh, I think the bigger impact has been on beaches in Hampton Bays and Montauk in particular.
1: Yeah, um I forget where it exactly is in Montauk, but where they have those um, you know, the um the, the <clears throat> sandbags Sand, for sandbags. for lack of a better word were were totally exposed um during mm-hmm. the last storm. And in in Hampton Bay's um you had a, a breakthrough, you had Dune Road that was um that was flooded. Um again, you see that almost every storm now. They had to close Dune Road for um, for a day or half a day, anyway, um, just uh, due to the water levels. it's um like Beth said, i don't I don't think it's going away. Um, the The good news is though, in in Montauk, they're getting ready to start the the beach nourishment there. Um, that's the the federal, the army Corps of, of engineers. They' we had a story this week. They are setting up their command center and and bringing in all the equipment that they're going to need um to to start that nourishment um, fairly soon um as soon as they're they're done in um, um on fire island they're going to come out to Montauk, and uh, and and that's ready to get started and you know that that's been decades and decades in in the making to get that that's, to get that's that the going work under so it's very that's a very exciting project that's the fimp work right that's Correct. the work
0: that's yes. been been in uh, it's been 50 years i think since <laughs> It was first discussed, and it's finally coming. But so that's
1: that's no, no exaggeration there. Fifty, More years. Than that.
2: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so it raises the question of Bill, and and I think it's definitely true on the beaches at Hampton Base too, which which just had a beach nourishment project um, in the fall, I believe, and it's been essentially erased. In these most recent storms, a lot of that sand <laughs> went away. So it's raised the question about beach nourishment projects. But this is kind of intriguing, um, Beth. Let's talk about beach nourishment for a minute. That is <laughs> sort of what happens, right? I mean, you put sand on the beach. The idea is it's going, you know, be, it's going to get washed away and redeposited um, in a cyclical fashion. But it's about just trying to sort of hold back the obvious things that, that the, the ocean's going to do to the beaches.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, all sand solutions are really, you know, I mean, if you talk about bulkheading the ocean, that's just like a concept that's just it's incredibly expensive. It leads to this, you know, the washouts wherever the bulkhead bulkhead ends. So they used to call it like a bulkhead arm race. So that kind of solution doesn't work. So what we're what we're working with is sand, which is essential, Essentially, floats away. I mean, they put those geotextile tubes in Montauk underneath the sand, and they're still there, but they get damaged with with the storms. But um, you know, the sand nourishment it has to be maintained. And a lot of the problems come with who's paying for the maintenance down the mm-hmm. line. Um, I know up in Southhold, Hold, um, there's a place on the Sound called Hashimomac Cove that is uh, adjacent to Route 48. So it's one of the two roads that come in and out of the North Fork. And uh, it floods in severe storms, uh, the road floods. Uh, and there are a lot of homeowners whose property is just between the road and Hashimomac Cove. And... Uh, the cost to maintain this, the Army Corps was looking for a local partner and it was way out of South Old Town's budget. Yeah. And um and South Old Town asked all the homeowners, because it's like a, a couple like three or four dozen homeowners who live there, if they were willing willing to form a erosion taxing district to pay for it, and they weren't. Uh I know down on the South Fork those are working, but you know, you have to agree to tax yourself and there wasn't really an appetite for that up here a lot of these were family homes that had been in the family for generations but the people didn't necessarily have the wherewithal to pay to keep this beach up so we don't know what's going to happen with that road uh south is embarking on a coastal resilience plan um but they're in the very early stages they just have seed money for at, the, at this point to try and get more grant funding to do something similar to what east hampton did but i mean Southhold is lucky. It doesn't have the ocean impacts that East Hampton has, but it, it's also in a similarly precarious position out at the end of a fork.
1: Is, is there an um, option to move the houses back?
2: There's really no space on no. the land that's there. They're oh. they're between the road and the, and the sound. Wow. Um, so that's I mean, been, I mean, this has
3: been also something going on for years and same, I mean, This is the reality of life on a barrier island, guys. Like, yeah, that's where we live. And, you know, I think that all of these solutions or measures, however, uh, you know, expensive and elaborate they are, essentially are all temporary. I mean, I think that's the reality. So there comes a point where you have to think uh, in terms of, allocation of resources, of public resources, especially like, you know, is it, is it smart?
0: Um, Of course, the question works in in reverse, too, that if you don't, I mean, I think it sort of stands out boldly, because you are dumping money onto the beaches just to see it get washed away. But you have to ask yourself, if you don't spend that money, and you don't nourish those beaches, what's the effect? Um, you know, that flooding could have been a lot more severe and you lose, you have the potential at this point to, to lose those beaches almost entirely, at least for, mm-hmm. you know, they, they tend to come back at some point and you hope that that happens, uh, naturally, but, um, this kind oh, of erosion, okay. it's, it's, it's probably time to raise the the double C word. Uh, it's climate change is going to have a big, no. you know, it's going to yeah. just accelerate
1: all of this. hmm well, the well, good thing about Montauk, I mean, with the Army Corps projects is is that for a number of years anyway, they they will come back and and maintain um maintain the the, the nourished beach, like mm-hmm. they did And I mean, you think about West Hampton dunes. Um, you know, they did that for a couple of decades. Um, and that worked out well there. Although I guess they're on the end of the line as far as the little literal drift goes. And you know, that's where a lot of the is gonna be deposited naturally. But um I, I again I think it's exciting that that the Army Corps is finally gonna gonna come in and you know and, and be aware and look at, at those beaches. But as Beth said, it's 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 a costly endeavor.
2: Yeah. Um I, one of the things that East Hampton is working on is building community consensus around these. Um they just got a grant to do more outreach on the um Coastal assessment resiliency plan, I believe it's called, that basically advocated for retreat from that first lane, the first line of hotels that are along downtown Montauk. Obviously, this is a, a a huge decision for the hotel owners, and one that they're not really interested in pursuing for the most part at this point. But um the idea would be to transfer development rights to property that's further inland and rebuild the primary and secondary dune where those hotels are now to try and protect downtown Montauk. This is an enormous undertaking. You need buy in from the property owners, which I don't think they have at this point. Um, but it's a conversation that needs to happen um, quickly,
0: because yeah. I mean, you know, the changes that are predicted, especially out around Montauk, Montauk are significant. Um, I'm still struck by the the the, uh, maps that, that the town has that show that I believe it's, uh, by 2050 Montauk may be separated from the rest of the island uh, when the water yeah. comes up and, and basically turns it into an archipelago, you know, that, that is something that, that when it's, when you're to the point where that's actually happening, it's too late to do anything about it. So we've really got to start taking action now.
4: Yeah, you're right. When, when, uh, than a peak stretch, right? When it's when it's mm-hmm. right, and it's almost impassable, right? And like you said, that would cut my talk off. And um, I wonder, do you guys know where do we start to go from? Who pays for what, depending on the severity of the situation, from town to county to state to federal money to replenish?
0: Yeah, I think that's always been a, a point of contention, and that's why. The FIMP project getting underway in Montauk is such a big deal because that's federal money right. um, that's been promised for a very long time. And and the argument could be made that this federal money needs to play a big role in this. But but yeah, funding right. is always a, a right. and, part and of the- So, so, of the so
1: when East camped and they had, um, you know, Army Corps had come in and, and done a nourishment project, Brian, but then uh, it was on, on the town. To to maintain that, and every time it washed away, they had to come back, and almost on, on an annual basis, and it was like over a million bucks a year that yeah. the town was on the hook for until until the Army Corps could start this new FIMP work. So so yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, the initial cost was 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 there was paid federal, but then you know after that, then the town had to maintain it.
3: Right. What does FIMP stand
2: for? Fire Island to Montauk Point. Okay. Yeah. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and the idea was to, the idea was to address all of the the beaches, um, in that for that entire stretch. But getting the federal money in place took forever. Took literal yeah. generations to get done. Yeah. Which yeah. is why it's historic that it's actually getting started this week in Montauk with the arrival yeah. of the equipment to start the dredging.
4: Like yeah, who, so the- who who footed the bill for the latest uh, the work on the on the lighthouse Montauk.
1: I, I mean, believe
0: some of that was state money and some of it was federal money, if I'm not mistaken. I think
1: that's the A lot of yeah. it was private money too, though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was the that uh, was
4: that was quite know. an undertaking, and they did they did an excellent job, you know, with the, with the rocks and everything out there. But as all you guys know, this is a combination of making, you know, like uh, I love New York tourism type stuff. Long Island's a big part of that, and then of course there's land, you know, landmarks that are like light the lighthouse that are.
0: Is that a is that a government? Is is that yeah. I mean, I believe it's a federal. It's a federal. I, right, mean, yeah. I still think it it operates as a federal lighthouse. It's uh, and I think that's why I think the federal government did a lot of the work around the lighthouse. Um, some of the work you're talking about with the the stones is I think they funded a lot of that
1: right when i when i had said private money i think i would met the the interior renovation yeah
2: the historic renovation right. i think they, they got grant some grant funding for that
1: that
0: all happened together at the same time but none of this mm-hmm. I, I think all of this just does again highlight the fact that we've had this stretch of storms recently um with no real end in sight we still see some storms coming we're in the middle of one probably as you're listening to this right now um it's it's going to be a continuing problem this seems to be you know, every every winter is different, but this seems to be a particularly damaging winter uh, for the beaches and something we're going to have to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, we've
3: we've had significant erosion on the north shore as well. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just the south shore beaches that suffer erosion. Um, the the um, you know the the sound front uh, has been battered, and I was saying before that the um, a town, one of the town beaches that they spent a lot of money. You know, reinforcing, um, you know, the dune, we don't call them dunes here, but same idea. Um, and, you know, improving this town beach, short waterfront, uh, you know, pavilion and a gazebo, etc. cetera, uh, found itself like teetering on the edge of a cliff basically after this last storm. It was a big washout. And the town you know had put a lot of money into that over the decades, the town's put a lot of money into shoring up that that area one of these town uh sound print beaches um but even like you know different homes and stuff, the beach you know is is gone you know it's yeah. not not there like it used to be, so and
4: now homeowners right I don't know if, uh, it, I get depressed when I think about it, but like no regular homeowner insurance company really has flood insurance anymore. That's a separate thing, right? Yeah. And it's very expensive, and they don't even want to do it, right? It's like if you want to get flood insurance, like everybody runs away. No one wants to deal with it. They don't even have wind
3: insurance. I mean, like you know, the wind exclusion, the wind damage exclusions are you know really tremendous, and uh, in terms of like very high. <laughs> Numbers before you get any any uh, reimbursement from your insurance company, which is something that went into effect a number of years ago. But really, since then, um, we—if there's like a declared hurricane, we're all you know potentially mm-hmm. up the creek without a paddle or a roof. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, they skirted you- around that with Sandy because it wasn't a hurricane when it arrived. Technically, you know, so. People's, right. um, you know, we had we had a acclaimed trees came down, a roof got ripped, but part of a roof collapsed in our garage. Uh, you know, we had fortunately had coverage from through our homeowners policy, but we wouldn't have if it had been a hurricane that did that. So, right. Most like, of us
0: have hurricane riders. Right. Or we yeah. have deductibles. It's a higher
2: deductible. Big deductibles, higher deductibles. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: And we've written yeah. about the fact that this region and some other areas, I believe Florida is another area. A lot of uh, insurance companies are not writing new policies, uh, and it it's isn't much
2: worse safe than us. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: yeah. it's part of a of a retrenchment just because of a whole series of payouts that they had to make over the years, and they're just taking a closer look at at areas that they can drop. Uh, but that's oh, something. About I mean,
3: you box. know, as as storms get more severe and the damages are greater, you know, it's just going to compound. And I, you know, I don't know,
2: but and, and that know, that, really... that's going on in the North Shore. Sorry, Beth. No, that's no, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that could also lead to on an ongoing issue with the uh, housing inequity. Here is that people you can't if you can't insure a property, you can't mortgage it and then you only have cash buyers and then this becomes more of an enclave. Um,
0: And I think the big question right now is, is this part of the normal cycle of beaches and storms and those things all happen? And sometimes you get a particularly bad year and then the next year isn't so bad. Is this part of that cycle or is this the beginnings where we're starting to see the beginnings of climate change and we'll never see a a a good year it's always just going to be bad and worse Hmm. um that's something that that i think we have to keep a very close eye on going forward it's it's a troubling thought but uh it may be the reality of the situation
2: well well, this is go ahead but the time the time to think about a storm is when the sun is shining i mean you don't want to be running to the store for a pump when everyone else is and you don't want You don't want water in your electrical panel. And, you know, there are a whole lot of reasons why, you know, homeowners throughout the East End just need to be proactive just because you don't want the worst case scenario to happen. And when it's on your doorstep, it's too late.
0: And the time to address big issues is usually 10 years ago. So (laughs) we got to get started soon.
3: And I mean, traditionally, let's just say government is not really good at doing that kind of proactive planning and action taking. It's like not until there's a crisis when, uh uh-oh. What do we do about it? You know, just and I mean, to put a
0: point on it, Denise, that with the five new town supervisors on the East End, we have all five of them. We have new supervisors. Maybe one of the things that happens is there becomes this change of focus where where you have new blood coming in, and maybe the thoughts about looking forward to issues like this um, start to take hold a little bit on a regional basis, which is the only way it's really going to be the
3: way addressed. To deal with it. Yep.
0: effectively so this is behind the headlines on wliwfm i'm joe shaw my co-host is bill sutton we're with the express news group our panelists are denise civiletti of riverhead local beth young of Beast east end beacon and brian cosgrove C- brian cosgrove of wliwfm and um so we should you know when you mentioned housing beth we should talk about this there's a couple of big conversations coming up about affordable housing um, in the region. One of them is coming in Greenport, another one in Sag Harbor. Talk about the one in Greenport.
2: Yeah. Um, Greenport was, uh, the first community on the East end, uh, back at the end of 2023 that, uh, pledged to become a a pro housing community, uh, which is a a state, uh, designation that uh, puts the village in line for a lot of, uh, grant funding. Um, but it also, you know, there are several steps that the village um, has agreed to do in in terms of engaging the community around ideas about uh, legalizing accessory dwelling units and uh, zoning changes that would allow uh, affordable um, apartments above stores and whatnot. Um, So this is just a big part of the discussion uh, going forward. Uh, They're talking about making it a little bit more incentive-based. So say um, allowing a third story on a building if the it's used for affordable um, apartments. This is all kind of in the discussion phases at this point. Uh, the Village of Greenport held the first of several uh, community meetings about the subject this past Thursday, and they're going to have more uh, at local churches in the upcoming weeks and months. Uh, This is on the heels. Last year, they changed a lot of the zoning downtown, and one of the things they changed was just some really outdated code that didn't allow housing above stores through um, this whole big block of the south side of Front Street. They they have these um, big second-story places where they could have had housing all this time, but the zoning didn't permit it. So now the zoning permits it uh, and I know there's some talk, I think the people who recently bought Aldo's are talking about doing housing above uh, the Aldo's coffee shop there. So there's uh there's a lot of foot. And I think uh, Greenport and Sag Harbor are really talking about um, learning from each other. And and this is a collaborative effort, I think, going forward. I, I'm not totally up on what's going on in Sag Harbor. I don't know if um, Do you
0: remember in Sag Harbor, yeah. they, they started an effort. Um, under the f- former mayor, Jim LaRocca, to yeah. uh, put some new rules in place, but those ended up being overturned in court when they were challenged by the local group, Save Sag Harbor. And right. so the village now has a relatively um, new mayor with Tom, Tom Gardella taking over, and they are embarking on sort of a twofold thing. One is the affordable housing. They wanna get something in place that's really workable. And I think there's a conversation coming up on January 27th, and the village has actually asked uh, me to host that, that the whole point of it is just to get public input on affordable housing. It's really the first step in just starting that conversation. Um, At the same time, the village is looking at doing a comprehensive plan. So one of the difficult uh, coordinations that needs to take place is how do you do a, a comprehensive plan and an affordable housing plan, and what's the timing, and which one should get done first. And I, I think that's all going to be complicated. But you know, full credit to the village for trying to get ahead of it, because it's very clearly an issue in Sag Harbor. I think a lot of the businesses there, as is true in businesses all over the region, will tell you that they can't find workers because nobody can afford to live um, nearby. And so I think there's a, there's a feeling that they want to address that. With something, but they're starting as Greenport is, I think, with the conversations, which I think is smart. You've got to get the public input um, before you move forward with anything specific. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's what's happening in Sag Harbor,
1: and good for both of those villages. I, I, I think that you know other other villages on the east end have kind of punted the the ball to to the towns to provide affordable housing, but. Um, but uh, Greenport and Sag Harbor have, um, you know, have uh, made a line in the sand and, and said that they want to, you know, to some extent, um, you know, try to, try to find, try to be part of, part of the solution anyway. They're certainly not going to solve affordable housing, you know, for the villages. But if they can help to provide a little bit, um, then, you know, every, everything helps, right?
2: It really makes a lot more sense in the context of an already densely developed area. I mean, so much of what we hear is people being opposed to something that used to be a field turning into a apartment building. Um, If you're talking about existing housing stock, there's a lot less or existing buildings, there's a lot less pushback. And
0: it's, you know, it's fair to say that while well, I think most everybody agrees we need more affordable housing, how to actually get that done is going to be complicated. And there, there are a lot of things that need to be discussed with the community before you embark on something like that. No mm-hmm. question. It, it leads me into another conversation, Bill, which which is a nice transition, which is we actually had a big announcement uh, this past week as part of the state of the state address by Governor Kathy Hochul about affordable housing um that may have an Im- impact on us locally and it coincides nicely with a series we're doing um in the express news group papers uh about stony brook southampton college and the history of that campus and the future of it what did uh, the governor announce this
1: week well it was a very very timely announcement for for us i mean coming right in the middle of, of that series and, and basically i mean the, the the details have yet to be worked out and, and she's gonna, you know, within the next week there will be a lot of explanations um, you know, about the programs that she's envisioning in her in her state of the state. But basically she said she has asked um, you know, different different state facilities, including, you know, including SUNY, to identify property, um, state-owned property where affordable housing could be could be built or could be utilized. And um, apparently, one of one of those sites is is the Stony Brook Southampton campus. Um, that um, that they've got the, the you know they they've got the, the the housing there already. Although a lot of those buildings have have been condemned and, and would need to be rebuilt, but but they've got you know a setup there already. Um, we had heard various various numbers about units that you know the number of units that could be built. We had heard um, from a source like. 500 units that seems a little um a little far-fetched but we did have an express sessions event on on Thursday um, in Southampton where uh you know a lot of administrators from Stony Brook um, were present to talk about our series and you know the past present and future of of the campus and they seemed very excited about the governor's proposal um they seemed very eager to, um, to get moving and to provide some sort of affordable housing on the campus. Um, you know, and that housing, you know, could include, um, you know, housing for um medical professionals, you know, working at the hospital. but I, I think they were also talking about just some general workforce housing for um you know, for for firefighters and, you know and and other people, um you know, working on on the South Fork that um you know that uh, we all know is 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 uh, in you know dire need of of housing so it was it was it was exciting i mean i, I think our our you know the series that we've been doing um you know for the last couple of weeks and i would encourage people to go you know um, pick up the newspapers um there's there's a lot of value-added content in in the papers um that's not necessarily on online over the last couple of weeks and our our third uh, the third part of that series talking about the future of, of the campus will you know will appear next week um but but just a very exciting announcement from you know from the governor and um you know and and from the Stony Brook folks that uh, that they want to you know full speed ahead on this and figure out what they can that you know what they can provide on the campus and you know, and how best to move forward with that. Very exciting.
4: I wonder if it's going to be, I worked, you know, the radio station was there and I only worked there for about on the campus when we were there for about 18 months. And I always wanted to take a walk and really explore it, but explore the campus, I mean, and I never did, but I wonder this proposal, which I think is an excellent idea. um, I wonder how many of the structures are, they can work with and how many are knockdowns or, you know, I wonder if they've even got into the weeds yet about that. I mean, I, th- I, I think that's
0: that, yeah. Those are conversations I think that are that are happening. But but what's interesting, Brian, is that that there is money available for this. Um, the governor said five hundred million dollars. She's going to seek in the state budget for this proposal. That would be used all over the state, but um, some of it. um from from what we heard. From the Stony Brook officials yesterday, it's fairly clear that Stony Brook's been part of this conversation behind the scenes for a very long time. So, they they are very clearly part of this proposal. Um, that's one thing that that you have state money that's available, and you have then you have the community housing fund from the town that might come into play that could provide some money too. Uh, there's there is probably going to be money available where you would think that a lot of those buildings are gonna be knockdowns. uh, It would be probably pretty hard to retrofit those, but they do have space on the campus that they have planned for this. And the second part of this that I think is really exciting is uh, Assemblyman Fred Thiel was on our panel and he pointed out that the train station, there used to be a Southampton College train station. um, And part of the idea here would be to reopen that train station and that would allow all of this new housing to be built basically right on public transportation, which is smart growth. That's the idea, and, and, of we, know, smart and we know
1: the governor likes that. She likes she <laughs> likes housing by um, by 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 train stations, and you know, and again, lost in this conversation is is there's there's still an idea that um, that they may move the hospital. Um, you know, Hospital, from, you know, from, uh, from, uh, from its current location to, to that campus. And I think if that train station was, was open, then, you know, then you're, you're eliminating all that trade parade traffic that, that right now is on the roads. You're not eliminating all of it, but you're eliminating some of that, that traffic. We know that the South, the hospital is, one of the biggest employers if not the biggest employer on the south fork and you've got all that traffic coming in you know three times a day for you know for three shifts at that hospital if you could get um you know a lot of that traffic going in by by train um then i think you're you know you're reducing traffic too as you're as you're increasing housing on on the campus it's, it's just a win-win i yeah. I, I think you know the the hospital is is still a long ways off. And you know, we heard some estimates at at the express sessions that you know, I, I think the the shortest estimate was was six years now, but I, I think maybe it might be even a little longer than that. and And we also heard from you know, from the Stonybrook officials they're they're very excited about the housing and they're going to move forward with the housing with or without um you know the hospital being uh, being built there and i think that's important to note that um you know they're very excited about the housing and, and want to move forward with that and that seems to be the primary focus right now so
0: i thought year,
3: that was the plan though, the hospital being built there like that you know. well,
1: it, it is and and for okay. for a dozen years they've been talking about that um i think that that a lot of things got in the way some staffing changes um you know with stony brook Covid uh, actually got you know got in the way. Um, so so the Southampton Hospital Foundation is is um, is raising the money for for the new hospital. It's not Stony Brook building the hospital. It's the Sto- right. the Southampton Foundation, and um, you know because of COVID, I, I think fundraising you know got slowed and, and interrupted. There, But um, there were representatives of the foundation at the express sessions, too. And they're very eager to, you know, to get back on track, raising the money. They're going to need, you know, $300 million or, or so um, to, to but build. But the up.
3: housing and the hospital, you know, expanded can live together on that same campus yeah there's, there's, a, a there's
0: room for that, okay, yeah we asked that specifically, and they said that they believe they have room for both and and I think the important thing that bill the point bill made the hospital officials kind of stressed that we 're going to move forward with the housing, whether or not the hospital is actually in place and I, the impression you get um, Ken Wright, who's the chairman of the Southampton Hospital Foundation. Um, was there, it's the Southampton Hospital Association, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, he said they're about a quarter of the way to where they want to be with the fundraising, and they really haven't had anybody. If you remember, Bill Ch- uh, Bob Challoner, who was the chief administrative officer of the hospital, left that job to take over the fundraising and then very quickly left for a job in the Midwest. So there really hasn't been anybody leading that charge. They said they're getting ready to announce a hire that they will have somebody in place to lead that effort to raise that money. Seems like Stony Brook and the Southampton Hospital Association are both optimistic that they can get it done. And and Ken Wright pointed out, hey, they had to raise the money for the new emergency department in East Hampton, which is going up as we speak. They had to raise that money first because that project was
1: money for for a couple other um, uh, Phillips Cancer Center and, sure. and, um, and a couple other, you know, um, you know, new buildings over the last few years. So it's uh, the money's being spread out. It hasn't been a standstill with fundraising. Go ahead, to, to Denise's point, I think that, you know, we've all been under the impression the, the last few years that, that, that uh, things were slow at the campus. There weren't a lot of invath- advancements um you know we we noted that that there's just been a lot of buildings condemned there including um you know including the historic windmill and all that and and i think the thinking was was that the that the university was kind of paused and on hold waiting for the hospital but i think that that the you know the impression that we got at the express sessions um and in the reporting that we've done over the series you know for the last 3 weeks is is that that's maybe not true that things are advancing there that you know they're they've they've faced some some fundraising issues um you know themselves or funding issues not fundraising funding issues you know as far as, as upkeep of some of the buildings but but they are committed to that campus and and to moving forward and you know you've got a couple legacy programs there the you know the fine arts program and the writing program there and 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 certainly the marine science program That are still doing very well and they've got a lot of students there they've they've brought in you know they've started a lot of um uh, medical centered programs there that that you've got students that are 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 taking classes there and and then doing um you know residencies at, at southampton hospital so i i think they're very focused on on improving the hospital or improving the campus and 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 moving forward and you know the idea that that everything was just on hold um, which I think a lot of people felt is is just certainly not not true. That there's a lot of looking um, forward there, and I think that that's something that you know that Fred Thiel and and uh, State Senator Tony Palumbo was there too, and and I think they're both dedicated to making sure that um, you know the the future is bright for both the campus and and the hospital.
0: Right, go so, ahead. You had something you wanted to say. Yeah, so this is uh, this week.
4: You've got part two of a three-part series, right? And this about the Southampton campus college. And this is it was the first week was past. This this
0: section is present, and then next week will be the future, right? Correct. Yes, next right. this this coming issue will be the the third part of that three-part series. Oh, it'll be the third part. It's going to focus um, largely on the event that we had, the Express Sessions event, where there was a. You know, that was the focus was what's the future of the campus. Um, There's also I had a chance to sit down with the Stony Brook University president, uh, Dr. Maury McGinnis, and um, she talked a little bit about what she sees as the future. And by the way, she said, you know, things are actually very exciting right now for Stony Brook in general and for that campus. It's it's worth pointing out that they just recently completed a uh, study um, sort of an, an overall study at Stony Brook, and now they're starting to implement some things.
1: And like a ma- master plan almost.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they and how to do you know how Southampton fits into that is part of what they're they're going to determine as, as they go forward. But I, I think the amount of energy in that room for our express sessions event was was intriguing to me. But um, Stony Brook, it's worth pointing out, Stony Brook University um, brought a bus. Of Stony Brook officials to our event um, to to be there and and to to make a a statement I think about how interested they are in the campus and I think those folks went away with a really strong impression that the people who live here really care about what happens with that college and 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 I think that may not have been s- uh, something they were fully aware of I think a lot of the a lot of the folks involved weren't sure how committed the community is to that. To that campus, and I think they went away with a very strong feeling that that the folks who were at our event were very intrigued and asked good questions. And yeah, um, the,
4: the implications the implications of this coming together and happening, uh, you know, for healthcare workers because of the possibility of the the, um, the the hospital being there. Of course, people working for the college, state workers, government workers. I mean. To live on what might happen at the Southampton College. And as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about, you know, what a great idea it is. And, and I, I bet something's going to happen with the help of the state and maybe federal money and so forth. And then we have, you know, a couple of billionaires so far, one in Sag Harbor, one now in Southampton, investing big money into either landmarks or, you know, new construction in Sag Harbor. And it's like this. Push and pull of private big money investing, and um, you know their pockets it, it it appears are so deep that the implications of their financial investment are not a huge deal, considering how much resources they have. And then you know we're trying to scrap by and get something happening on the campus.
0: Yeah, and Fred Thiel used the word synergy too. He mentioned that as we talk about all this stuff. Then you talk about the train station and there's a push now to try and get that train station put into the Long Island railroads budget. So, and and that will help with the South Fork commuter connection, which is one of Fred's projects. That's been something that's been important to, to sort of bolster in addressing the traffic issues. This is a lot of positive movement on a lot of different fronts all at once. So the, the college, I think you know we made a decision months ago to do this series about the college because it seemed like a conversation that hadn't really taken place in a in a substantial way in a while. But that campus is important to this region for a lot of reasons. It's, yeah. It drives. It has the potential to drive the economy, to drive the healthcare in the region, uh, and just now, of course, to maybe be. At least a partial solution to some of the the affordable housing issues. So. Yeah, and when you talked
4: about transportation, I was thinking that you know there's public transportation. You talked about the LIRR and and public transportation, but also these folks who are making these big investments privately. That you know you've got these trolleys now in East Hampton that bring folks to the beach, and they have advertising on the side of it. You know, how about you know private enterprise? You know, a company or a business you know, having folks who live at the campus and then sending a bus every morning or every afternoon or, you know, a construction company, a restaurant, a retail store in East Hampton or something, sending a bus out to the campus where they have employees housed over, meaning a private enterprise. So it could shake out very interesting.
1: Well, and I think to your point, Brian, too, as far as as affordable housing in, in general, it's going to have to be um, you know, public and private mm. partnerships or, or not partnerships that, that are going to have to address the problem. You've got a lot of money that's going to be coming in with with community housing, but the towns can't build their way out of out of this. They can change they can change some, you know, some zoning um, you know, laws and 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 all that, but it's going to take private investment too, of of these guys with these deep pockets that want to come in and and build private developments that that are going to be affordable either entirely or or in part to kind of help address you know address the issue you've got a um you know a new a new trailer park um you know being built in in eastport um the guy joe farrell who's who's a big builder who recognizes the need for for affordability and and a portion of that is is going to be affordable and and that's you know certainly not his style um, but but it, it you know I mean if you read the article in, in the press it feels like he's seen the light and wants to provide some affordable housing so yeah it's, it's going to be it's going to be partnerships it's going to be yeah, I'm
4: not I, I'm not speaking specifically about Ferrell but folks need employees yeah so exactly. could, I mean that could be a motivation that's a huge motivation for these these folks you know who are making these private investments out here they need they need bodies they need employees. I'm not saying that's Joe Farrell's motive. Maybe it's, you know. Well, it might well, be part of it and that's OK. Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I
0: think motivation. once you
2: get I'm,
0: uh, I'm sorry, Beth.
2: No, go ahead. Yeah.
0: I, I was just going to say that I think once you get one or two of those projects built, it'll it'll help, too, because um, I think people have in mind when we say affordable housing or workforce housing, I think there are people out there with very different visions for what that means. And I think if you actually build a couple of these projects, so they can see what it looks like, and you know, we've done that. I think Southampton Town has put in a couple of projects at Sandy Hollow and um, at the train station in Speonk that give you sort of an idea of what workforce housing can look like and how it can work and fit seamlessly into the community. So, and just just to make a last point about our college, you know, so our Express Sessions event was a live event, and what I thought. What struck me about that, by the way, the, the live event, we'll, we'll have video from that on our website next week. Um, that's 27East.com, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the the thing that struck me was for the past few years, I think the narrative about the college campus has been, nothing is happening there. It's a ghost town. Buildings are collapsing. You know, they're they're being condemned. Half the buildings on the, on the property are condemned what is going on? There's a big question mark. The energy in that room was about what can be done on that campus. And the Stony Brook folks, Wendy Pearson, who is a vice president um, in charge of strategic initiatives, is really the person who's a recent hire. I mean, she joked that she's pretty much been on the job for days. And this was this event was one of her first things. But one of her jobs is going to be to figure out what Southampton uh, the the campus will be. The energy is there's so much we can do with that. And that's new. And I think just that change and, and of she attitude.
1: Seemed, she seemed really excited to work with community members too on, on developing a vision for the campus. And I think that was really exciting to to a lot of yeah. community
2: members. I talk with so many young people who uh, are really excited about going into nursing um they're like emts or whatever and um and they always say their first choice is stony brook and it's become so competitive to get into stony brook and the possibility of just having that in our backyard with with the resources to have the have the students in the hospital would would really be amazing
0: yeah and they um the uh medical professionals programs that they've started at the southampton campus they say have been just gangbusters successful so they'll just continue to build on that and i think going forward they want to build on the things that work well, and that's one of them for sure. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Brian Cosgrove from right here at WLIWFM. wfm um, Denise, the ongoing saga with EPCAL has taken a new turn this week with um, a lawsuit that was filed. Tell us what's going on. Give us an update.
3: Well, it was kind of expected um, that after the town canceled the contract, um, that the the buyer, 555, and its affiliate, Calverton Aviation and Technology, would bring a lawsuit for uh, what's called specific performance to force the town to sell the property to them under the terms of the agreement. And um, that's exactly what happened, Um, despite the uh, now former supervisor's public insistence that That was not going to happen Uh, when she was uh, berating a uh, a local resident, asking if there was an update one day. And I think at her last town board meeting. Um, But uh, it did happen. And um, the the town's got to respond. It's going to be a long time before there's any resolution to that. But um, meanwhile, they filed a thing called a notice of pendency or at least pendence uh, in Latin terms, which means that um, the town is essentially precluded from doing anything to encumber, sell, lease, or anything, the property there, um, until the lease pendants is lifted, which means settlement of the lawsuit or judgment. So that property is uh, essentially frozen, um, potentially for years. And, um, you know, that's not a good place to be in when you are hoping, as this town has been, that uh, development or redevelopment of that site, which is the uh, former Norfolk Up north of Grumman site um, in Calverton that, that, you know, is going to be kind of um, a really significant economic engine for the town and the region. Um, But um, the whole thing just sort of went south and um, here we are. The interesting thing about the papers that were filed is uh, some of the kind of the glimpse that it gives us into kind of the behind the scenes conversations according to, Triple Five and Calverton Aviation, um, you know, that were had between town officials and representatives of the company. Um, things like, uh, you know, they told us, don't worry, we're going to go to this, um, we're, we're going to send the application to the Riverhead Industrial Development Agency. I won't get into all the details of what that, what that was all about. We've talked okay. about it so many times, but, uh, but don't worry. Um, e- they're going to approve it. It's going to be like a rubber stamp. And uh, mm. even if they didn't approve it, don't worry, we're still going to close anyway. Um, and then at the same time, the papers are claiming that the town did that whole thing with the IDA as a ruse to um, essentially do like a dirty, dirty deal with, <laughs> to, to wow. get out of the contract, mm. which they did right before the election. And you know, so there's some really interesting allegations made in this lawsuit that the town is going to have to respond to at first, undoubtedly with. An answer that's just going to deny everything without really saying anything but if this lawsuit continues and there are depositions and things like that it's going to get pretty interesting
0: so, so the lawsuit is sort of shaking loose a lot of information behind the scenes basically it's well i mean stuff. they're Maybe they're allegations
3: the they're allegations about it so let's see you know what they have to back up what those allegations are and hey, if, you know was it
2: verbal was it written I,
3: yeah uh, you know, I mean for say. meetings, yeah. you know things said in meetings uh essentially, yeah, so I don't know, they're gonna have to get uh evette Aguiar on the stand and uh, see how that works um
2: <laughs> it's gonna be fun, yeah, anyway, yeah, I mean, I think yeah- you know, the, when they renegotiated that contract, that was before um the proposal for the cargo airport and You know, they renegotiated the contract, I guess it was March of 22. And then the presentation of the cargo airport was that September. And that's when the public just said, well, what? That's
3: that's (laughs) when people went crazy. Which in this lawsuit, it's interesting to note, they call that a fictitious uh, airport based on uh, a fictitious uh, proposal based on public misunderstanding. So Mm
1: -hmm. I have exactly what they said.
3: (laughs) Of exactly what, <laughs> what they had later, they later said that was a mistake by their consultants uh, at the at the presentation. Big mistake, uh, yeah. And uh, you know, now which the they didn't is, stand up and say, "Wait, what are you talking about? That's not what we're doing." <laughs> will, were the, there. will the
0: lawsuit? Will the lawsuit clarify any of this, or is it just going to muddy the waters further?
3: Clarify what they want to do there? You mean,
0: or yeah, just the whole situation. Will we, will we learn? Will we, will we get closer to a solution here or no? Is this just going to make it? Well, you know, I mean, like- you know,
3: if they're successful in this lawsuit, the town is going to be forced to convey the property to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but the one interesting thing is with this notice of pendency. Right. It's on because, remember, uh, at issue was like the failure of the town to get a subdivision of the property. And, you know, it, it's it's a one big parcel. So. You know, the the freeze, if you will, is on the entire site, including like 500 or so acres that the town um, was going to keep for itself for municipal purposes that it now can't do anything with because of the notice of pendency. It's Mm. not just on the it's not just freezing the status of the property that the town was going to sell to them, but the whole the whole thing, you know, that was. And, Subject and, to this and that, uh, subdivision.
1: And that may be years and years before that lawsuit's figured out. So oh, nothing, it's a pretty
0: good bet, no, I nothing think. Can, I nothing can get done. We're going to keep We're going to keep reading Riverhead Local for the continual updates on that story going into the future. We're out of time, guys. Uh, thank you to Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Brian Cosgrove of WLIWFM. And thank you, as always, to my co-host, Bill Sutton. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, we will be back next week with another edition of Behind the Lines. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.